This is episode 128 with sports medicine doctor, author, speaker, Ironman triathlete, and 33-time marathoner, Dr. Jordan Metzel. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and what I do here on the pod is bring you the brightest minds in the fitness industry to help you become a better runner. Yes, you're going to hear from the professionals, the elite runners, but you'll also be surrounded by their support team, the sports psychologists, strength experts, coaches, doctors, and physical therapists who make it all happen. The goal is always to be giving you new ideas for elevating your running, because as I like to say, knowledge is a competitive advantage. If you're new to the show, feel free to browse the other 127 episodes or our website, strengthrunning.com, for more ideas and details on strength training for runners, injury prevention strategies, mindset training, and how to optimize your training to always keep improving. My guest today is one of the most widely respected sports medicine doctors in the country, Dr. Jordan Metzel. He's a graduate of Harvard Medical School, an internationally sought-after speaker, and has published more than two dozen peer-reviewed papers. We'll be talking about his latest very soon here on the podcast. Jordan is a practicing physician with offices in New York and Connecticut, and he's also written several books for athletes, including Running Strong, The Athlete's Book of Home Remedies, and The Exercise Cure. He's the creator of the popular Iron Strength Workout for Runners that you can find on Runner's World, and he's run dozens of marathons and triathlons. By the way, this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker, a company that helps endurance athletes optimize their training after taking a simple blood test. I'm a customer, I love their science-based approach, and I think this is one of those investments that actually make you into a better runner. Figure out if you're over or under training so you can train more effectively. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING, no space, to save 10% on any of their blood testing kits at InsideTracker.com. All right, my discussion with Dr. Metzel today focuses on injury prevention, with particular care paid to the importance of the glute muscles, strength training's injury prevention benefits, balancing high mileage with staying healthy, the injury risks of highly cushioned shoes like we're seeing with the Nike Next Percent and a couple more interesting topics. And of course, if you don't want to miss any of these episodes of the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button in your podcast player. This is just will automatically download each episode so you have the latest and greatest as soon as it's available. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jordan Metzel. Well, first of all, Jordan, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Uh, this is a uh, informal, fun conversation between uh, you, the doctor, and me, the running coach, hopefully about injury prevention, strength training, and some related topics for distance runners. So hopefully we can keep a couple more runners healthy this time around. It's an absolute pleasure. It's one of my... Uh... In addition to running myself, it's one of my favorite things to do is to keep people on the road. It's uh, obviously very gratifying, so happy to do it. Yeah, well, we first met back in 2012 in Boston. It was a Runner's World event, and they invited a bunch of influencers to hang out for a weekend and run some races, and I guess I'm an influencer. So uh, there I was, and 
you know, I remember you saying something at the time that I hadn't heard before. And it's kind of now your one of your famous lines. And it was a strong butt is a key to a happy life for runners. And I, I just love that. And I think there's so much included in that one little line that runners can really take to heart and improve their training and just get better and prevent more injuries just with that little understanding. Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of feel like it's, um, you know, in Star Wars and like Obi-Wan, old Ben Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I haven't heard that name in a very long time. That's kind of what I feel like when I hear you say that, but, uh, but I did say that. And I do actually really believe that's true that, uh, you know, most runners, uh, when I was talking about strength training for runners back then, um, I was, I wasn't fringe, but I was definitely, I think, on the leading edge of the curve. And I got to that vantage point, both because I noticed that I ran better when I was stronger, that my patients were injured less frequently than when they were stronger, and most importantly, that I could beat my brother when I did my strength training, um, and that it was way more fun to do it in a group. So all those things kind of combined together to kind of help me develop, you know, iron strength and then the iron strength community and, and, and kind of hopefully kind of I, I tried over time to push out that message that strength was a really valuable thing for running. And over time, um, you know, I think the, uh, the industry has definitely caught up with that concept. And uh, whereas I think I was kind of an early adopter uh, and adapter to uh, that concept, I think now it's, it's, it's probably more often than not that runners are doing some kind of strength training, but it certainly wasn't the case back then. Yeah, I was really glad to see strength training turn the corner over the last decade or so. And now, you know, runners are starting to recognize the fact that they can't just be a runner and run all the time and have that be the only form of exercise that they do. And I love seeing it as a coach because, you know, I like developing well-rounded, holistic runners who are, are really athletes. You know, I like to tell my runners that, you know, don't even call yourself a runner. Let's call yourself an athlete that specializes in running. And it might just be semantics, but I think it's a, a way to reframe things and think about yourself as this more well-rounded athlete who does other things like lift weights and do plyometrics and do some cross training and all those things that just make us into a more capable athlete. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. Um, and I think that it's, you know, there are a few people like Meb who is running like, you know, four 50 miles in sixth grade. Um, and then there's most people who, you know, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a wonderful struggle, but it's a struggle. And we want to try and do everything we can. I mean, I think there's a couple of interesting terms to, to think about because, you know, one is, you know, running injury prevention. And although I do believe that stronger runners are injured less frequently, we actually did a big study here at the New York Marathon that we published last year and we were not able to show a statistically significant difference in the group we studied, those who strength trained versus those who didn't, although that's not what I've really found anecdotally in my practice. We did a study looking at that and did not find an appreciable difference. There were a lot of variables, including you know, who, how compliant people were versus how much they said they were, how much strength training they actually did. Every runner is different. So you know, I can't say for sure. Um, so I'm not, I believe that running strength training reduces your risk of getting hurt. Um, I know it improves your running economy. And that's something I know as a coach and as a doctor, um, we both think a lot about is people's running economy, meaning how efficient they are with their running and that they're getting the most, you know, juice out of their lemon. 
And, um, and strength training really is a great way to start thinking about getting the most juice out of your lemon, um, as it were. <laughs> juice out of your lemon, Jordan, that might be the first time I've ever heard that phrase about <laughs> runners. And I love it. That's so great. Now, this study is really interesting to me. Did they, did you guys control for the running training that these athletes were doing? Well, we basically had a pretty large group, you know, almost 900 people and we kind of randomized them. So there was not any specific, you know, there were people doing all kinds of things in both groups. And the, you know, the, the conclusion was that, it, you know, we had such a big group and we powered the study so that, uh, you know, for example, there were people doing all different kinds of things, but those would even out in both groups. So there was not one group doing more or less. And that, you know, we had a, one of our kind of mod, modified workout regimens that people said they did. We weren't there because they were all over the world. Um, and they said they did it. And again, there's some problem in that because what people say they do and what they do is often quite different. Um, but those who strength train did not have a significantly different uh, risk of uh, injury when it came to preparing for the New York Marathon um, than those who didn't. So it just it told me tells me that you know there are a lot of factors that make a difference when it comes to why people get hurt and why they don't. One of the interesting things talking about this study and and injury prevention is, you know, as a coach. I, I kind of see coaching as both an art and a science. And I and I wonder if the result of that study showing that strength training is not providing an injury prevention benefit, is that because that does fly in the face of everything that, you know, I know as a coach and have experienced as an athlete myself and, you know, all the coaches that I've had in, in my career. Is, is this something where it, it, we need to study it more? Because I kind of see this as, as maybe a... Uh, an issue with the study itself. Yeah, I mean, listen, this was the first big study. I mean, obviously, the name of my book with, with Runner's World is called Running Strong. I have every one of my running patients strength trained, and I definitely will tell you that for myself and for my patients, that you know, stronger mus stronger muscle runners are are have less aches and pains, and I think you know, over time they are hurt less. But this study only looked at people training for a particular race um, for the marathon. And so it was a real, you know, we're not, it was a, you know, basically a three, four month window. It wasn't, you know, years and years of running where we often have relationships with people over many, many years. And, um, and we formed our opinions over many, many years. I agree with you. Um, and so I think not necessarily that this was a wrong study, but I think the conclusion from this was people just training for this one particular race in a randomized group, assuming all variables being equal strength training did not seem to provide a statistically significant difference in terms of why people, if people got hurt or not. But I'm not sure I totally, we were surprised to see that. And I'm not sure, you know, I think it's a piece of the discussion. Do I still prescribe strength training for every single one of my runners? Absolutely. Do I still talk to them about WBS, weak butt syndrome as a complication of not doing enough strength training? You better believe it. Do I still tell people that the glute muscles, particularly are the engine that makes you run more efficiently and you know, all the above, you absolutely. So it hasn't changed what I do at all. Um, and that's why I think you need to always read any scientific science in the context of the question in which it's asking and not apply it to everything. Yeah, that's a good point, I think. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the butt again, and you mentioned all of the above. I'd love to talk a little bit more about why the glutes in particular are such an important muscle for runners in particular, because I, 
for a long time, I've been talking about the hips and the glutes. These are muscles that runners have to focus on for both performance and for staying healthy. What What is so great about having a strong glute? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, it's the lower body in general. So I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, see the, you know, see the glute and miss the forest as it were. But, uh, you know, generally, uh, any activity such as running is a combination of the anterior chain, the muscles on the front of the legs, such as the quads and the posterior chain, things like the glutes, the hamstrings and the calf muscles. And running works best when there's a good balance between the two. You know, what often ends up happening is people end up just running and they build up more quad muscle and they get relatively weaker in the glutes and the hamstrings and sometimes the calves as well. And so that, re- that muscular imbalance causes some overload of areas such as the hamstring tendons and the Achilles tendons. Um, and so the glutes are great for kind of evening out that strength distribution. In addition, you know, they're the most powerful muscle group in the body. So um, everything from better propulsion, better pushing off the ground, um, as well as uh, better uh, body posture when you're kind of landing um, from the ground, those things all lead to injury risk or not. So, you know, if you have WBS, weak butt syndrome, um, you end up looking like you're salsa dancing, kind of hips wiggling side to side instead of being nice and stable when you run. And so there are a lot of reasons why that muscular balance front to back, um, as well as having a strong enough posterior chain, um, is really, really important for runners. Now, what kind of strength training do you recommend for endurance runners? Can we get in the gym and do almost anything, or are there some specifics that you think we should try to cover? So when I put together Iron Strength, um, which initially did with Runner's World, it was basically a way to give runners what you know I thought was the most effective both for myself and for my patients. Um, and that's a lot of plyometric-based training. So plyometric is when you jump, you leave the ground and you come back and it's a rapid muscle elongation contraction cycle. And uh, the reason plyometrics are so helpful is that running itself is a plyometric. So running is basically hopping from one leg to the next or in terms of kind of if you look at somebody and the way they walk or move, um, they're, you know, in the walking mechanic, you basically have one foot on the ground and the other foot on the ground. Uh, so it's always the right or the left, and you're never in midair. But in running, you have what's called a double float phase. So you're kind of in midair both times with the right leg and the left leg. And so you're basically doing a whole series of plyometrics all day long, all the way down the road when you run. And so to me and to others, it makes a lot more sense to train for a plyometric activity with plyometrics, which is why I think plyometric strengthening is so efficient for runners. Um, and the kind I have people do is a, you know, a total body strength workout. So it's, you know, glutes, quads, hamstrings, core, some upper body too. Um, and so, you know, I put that into my, into my running book, my running strong book and an iron strength. And I have my patients do it from the office all the time. And that's what I do in my classes as well. Cause I, you know, I found it to be very efficient for people. Yeah. I think plyometrics are really important. I I've admittedly been a little hesitant to prescribe these to athletes simply because, you know, the coaching that I do is virtual and, you know, as a coach, I really want to be next to a runner when they're doing some of the more challenging or advanced types of plyometrics. Have you ever seen or run into any problems with runners getting hurt? Because I know plyometrics are, you know, they're they're explosive and they do have a higher injury risk than if you were doing a more controlled type of exercise without that that plyometric nature to it. 
I've not. I mean, I send people home often with a little one of my little 30 minute video clips. Um, and I have people doing this stuff all over the world like you do. And I've not. I've, I've found uh, that just a little bit of kind of queuing um, and video queuing. I've not had any problem at all with people doing this effectively. Um, and uh, I've had really no problems. I've had kids, parents, grandparents. I, I have a lady that comes. She's now 78. and She comes and does, you know, our workout classes in Central Park. So I've not had any problem um, at all with that. Uh, again, I'm not talking about jumping way up, you know, in the air. But if you want to see something sad, have a runner, like, try and jump up. They generally don't leave the ground very far because they end up building much more kind of slow twitch versus fast twitch muscle fiber just by the nature of their sport. And so, in general, runners are not great jumpers. Um, you probably noticed that as well. Uh, so we're not talking about leaping way up in there, not a box jump, but, you know, very controlled just off the ground. I've not found any problem at all with that. You know, Jordan, I was recently at the uh, Denver Broncos practice facility for a Spartan race event, and uh, I tried to jump up and and reach, you know, the goalpost of, you know, the field goal at the end of the field. And it was pretty embarrassing yeah, for yeah. me. Right. Put yourself in that position. <laughs> my, my sister even got a video of it, and uh, I, I, I shouldn't have put it on Instagram, but I did. Fair enough. <laughs> I got well, um, to follow you. What's your like? Do I follow What's your Instagram? Uh, Jason fits one. All right. I'm going to get you right now. <laughs> Great. Um, you know, w- in terms of injuries, uh, one of my favorite things is to help runners prevent injuries. I had a very injury prone career myself. And so I, I think I'm just prone to prioritizing prevention and staying healthy in my, my coaching philosophy and the training programs that I write. And one of the things that I struggle with is this really tough balancing act with the ability to stay healthy with your desire to improve. And, you know, the more you run, the better you're going to be as a runner for the most part. It's kind of this general rule, but the higher your injury risk is going to be. How do you help runners navigate this balancing act of wanting to run a relatively higher mileage program? Because that gives you so many benefits with the fact that it is true that the more you run, the higher your injury risk. So, you know, I try and figure out always, you know, everybody's a snowflake, right? So I mean, everybody training for any race, you can have, you know, 500 people lined up at the start of a, of a race and they're all going to run the same race, but they're all very different in terms of their body, their body type, what they've come in with. Um, there's so many different variables in there, their athletic history, their age, um, you know, their baseline body anthropomorphic measurements. There's, you know, every variable you can think of is quite different. And so, uh, you know, w- when I think about that, I think, uh, you know, how am I going to, th- there's not a one size fits all. And that generally, if you run more miles, you have a higher risk of injury, as you said, and you also um, can perform potentially better. Um, so I try and kind of split the difference and figure out how can I get the best out of this particular person, which is sometimes you know, trying to figure out what things can I change? Are they doing enough strengthening? Is their stride too long? Are they in the right shoes? What about their run mechanics in general? We have a whole run lab here where we can put people in our run lab and see, you know, what, you know, what what they may be doing right or wrong. Um, There's so many different variables in there that, you know, since everybody's coming from a different starting point there, I try and think about what are the things I can change or tweak or fix so that uh, they can, they can get the best mileage in but even within that, they may not be able to do everything that they think they may be wanting to do. 
What are some of those common variables that you can tweak to get more or better performances out of runners? Are, are there some that are more common than others? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, everything from running volume to the type of training. You know, the harder you hit the ground, the more risk of injury. So, um, just on the training side, speed training tends to be more injurious than uh, injurious than just running slowly and longer. Um, so there's that there's their program and in their in their in their body themselves, you know, how flexibility probably is overrated. I think strength training is underrated. Um, and I do believe that. Um, other things outside the body in terms of how things are going include things such as kind of stride length. And I've definitely done a lot to try and get people to shorten their run stride. Um, in, our, in our lab here, we look at that as one of the common things to try and reduce the GRF or ground reactive force, how hard they hit the ground. Um, and then, uh, you know, looking at what things such as shoes, I think that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of enthusiasm towards these big cushion shoes of recent. And uh, I've not been a big fan of everybody going to super cushion shoes. Um, and then there's been several studies recently showing that, in fact, for some people, they cause more injuries. They change your, your, your force, your ground mechanic and how you hit the ground and how you roll. And you basically can accentuate some mechanical flaws by wearing those shoes and trying to run in them. So you know, there's not a one size fits all. Uh, on the other hand, Jason, I will also tell you that people going into running stores and running on a treadmill and saying you need this shoe based on how you're running, I don't think is so great either because sometimes people have had no problems at all and they have, you know, a gait mechanic that doesn't look great, but it's worked for them. And then you start changing them around and all of a sudden they have problems. So, you know, it's very much an individual type thing. You know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the ground reactive forces that runners experience when they run, because there's this other, this is another balancing act that runners have to figure out in their training, because you're, you're absolutely right. The harder you hit the ground, the higher your injury risk. With that said, the faster you run, the harder you're hitting the ground. And, you know, if you tell a sprinter, you need to land more softly, or you need to land with quieter feet, they're never going to be able to run very fast. So this is another interesting variable here. How do we balance the fact that faster running demands higher ground reactive forces with the fact that you do want to mitigate those to a certain extent, sometimes because they have a higher injury risk? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about stride length. I really think that's the biggest variable you can play with. So, uh, you know, we know that a landing directly under your body, um, a higher cadence, shorter stride length run produces a less aggressive ground reactive force. So we spend a lot of time downstairs in our physical therapy clinic and our run analysis center trying to get people to shorten up their running stride. Um, and I will often use things like the metronome app, metronome app on people's phone to try and get them, you know, 175, 180, um, and to get comfortable feeling that kind of quicker mechanic, shorter stride length run. And I think there's a lot of value in that uh, in terms of not hitting the ground as, as hard, and they can still exert quite a lot of power once they get used to doing that. Yeah, I've been talking a lot just recently I've found about landing underneath your hips, underneath your center of mass and and one of the ways that you can reduce your stride length uh particularly during easy running is by working on your cadence and figuring out, you know, what's an appropriate cadence for my easy pace and then going from there and trying to figure out, you know, that optimal cadence number so that you're not, you know, either overstriding, landing with that really aggressive heel strike out in front of your body. And I think that helps a lot. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. 
Now, you mentioned those really cushioned shoes, and, and I'd love to hear a little bit more of your take on this new fad, you know, these highly cushioned, bouncy shoes like the Next Percent. I'm sure at the uh, Olympic trials, we're recording this beforehand, but, you know, we're going to see just a sea of Nike Next Percents. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned these studies that are now coming out, and, and I saw some of those as well, and the fact that, you know, you land on a more unstable surface. And so to get stability, you land even harder. It's almost like if you were coming down on a gymnastics mat and trying to stick your landing, you want to stick it pretty hard or else you're just going to flail around and end up, you know, falling down. Do you think we're going to see a wave of new injuries from these shoes? It's kind of similar to what happened around 2010 after Born to Run was published and everyone was trying to run in barefoot or, or five fingers. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen these trends come through. Um, and, you know, we've both been involved in this sport for a while. And every time there's a trend, you know, people want it and they want the extra benefit of doing it. You know, so uh, we had a lot of people running around Central Park thinking that they were... Uh, basically living in northern Mexico, and they weren't built that way, and they certainly weren't living there. Uh, and we saw a lot of these kind of minimalist shoe or barefoot injuries, because um, Central Park is not northern Mexico. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I do think that uh, for some people, these kind of sh these very maximally cushioned shoes are helpful, and for others, they're not as helpful. And I think the answer is that we're not exactly sure who it is for what. And so I think it's fine to try it and it's fine to kind of see how it feels for you. And you may find it helps you in a smaller distance and not in a longer distance or vice versa. I would just keep a very open mind and not be talked into, you know, being swayed one way or the other, just based on, on, you know, what you think you should do. Uh, and I do think that we're going to see a trend towards that. Uh, but I think it's also important to kind of try and differentiate because I think, there's a differentiation between cushion shoes that absorb the force of the ground and cushion shoes which absorb the force. There's a carbon force plate and they kind of transmit that force back up into your foot and back out uh, very quickly because I think those are two different things. So just to use brands, I think kind of a Hoka type thing where you're just absorbing the cushion versus I think some of these re energy return foams where the idea is that you come through, it pushes off a, a carbon force plate, it comes out very quickly. Uh, that's more like the flubber concept from that old movie. And I think they're two different animals. I, I don't think they're exactly the same. Um, and I don't think we know enough about the differences, but I just see those as two different things from my perspective. I don't know if you do as well. Yeah, when I look at any of these shoes, I really look at them as training tools. They are designed to help you accomplish a specific objective. So if a runner comes to me and they're like, I like to run in five fingers, you know, we can we can kind of embed that within the training in a logical way. And, and the same thing with these highly cushioned shoes. You know, they lend themselves to certain workouts, certain types of runs. And we just need to be more strategic with how we're using the shoes. Um, because, you know, uh, uh, running barefoot can be great for maybe a series of strides or finishing up a run with a couple minutes of easy barefoot running on, you know, a good clean softer surface. Uh, and then, you know, with some of these carbon fiber plate shoes, you know, maybe they're great for uh, doing a marathon paced workout once or twice before you line up on the starting line, just to give you a sense of what they're going to feel like so that you're not trying something new on race day. But, you know, every, every shoe, every workout, every type of run that you're doing, even something like 
plyometrics or squats, you know, they're all training tools that help you do something very specific. And just like we shouldn't be running in five fingers every day, just like we shouldn't be deadlifting every day, we probably shouldn't be running in these maximalist carbon fiber plate type shoes every single day either. Yeah, I think that's probably right uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but I think it's great. It's something great to try. And again, I mean, I see in my office, some people come in and they, they love them and they swear by them and others have tried them and they're in my office because they're injured. And so I think that there is a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a wide scope. Right. Now, how would you advise runners to use these shoes as productively as possible? Because one of the things that I found out about them that kind of makes me scratch my head is the fact that, you know, they only last for about 50 miles. And if you're not, if you're abiding by the rule to not try anything new on race day, how do you, do you have to buy two $250 shoes and use them in training and then another pair on race day? How, how do you train in them? How do you use them? Yeah. So I think that, again, that it's important to differentiate between just the energy return shoes. I think it's a good way to think about them versus the cushion shoes. And even they both are thick and have cushion, one is really designed to return energy back to the person's foot and the body, and one is more designed to absorb. So I think that the, the straight cushion shoes can go much longer. And I'd say I'd put, you know, the Hoka was the one that's been the most popular, but there's a number of now companies doing that kind of thing. I think the energy return are these kind of, you know, vapor fly variants where there's a carbon plate and there's an energy return. And those are the ones that don't last very long in terms of mileage. Um, and, you know, again, like anything, I think that they're, you know, you, you, nothing new on race day unless you want to try something new. Um, truth be told, the first time I ever did an Ironman, done 14, the first one I ever did, I showed up with an old bike and I was actually doing it for CBS News at the time. And I showed up and the guy said, you can't go on TV with that old clunker. And I said, I love this bike and it works. And so I got a, uh, they let me borrow a Cervelo. The, at the time, it's kind of an old one now. It was a brand new Cervelo. And I'd never ridden it. I went, I rode it around the block and I said, screw it. And I did it. I did the whole Ironman on that bike and I did fine. Um, and I've definitely over time done that. So I think nothing new on race day unless it makes sense and you're going to try something new on race day. That's, <laughs> that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like any rule in the fitness industry, it, it can be bent, it can be broken under the right circumstances. Yeah. Now, I'm also curious about how you mitigate some of the effects of these shoes. You know, we mentioned some of these studies, we mentioned that, you know, they're, they, they cause extra impact forces. Uh, they cause you to pronate more, uh, in these highly cushioned, uh, propulsion oriented shoes. How can you sort of protect yourself against those extra injury risks? Yeah. I mean, I think definitely, uh, stride length again, I know I keep talking about it, but, uh, again, the same principles apply. You, you shorten your stride, you hit the ground less aggressively. And I think that's, that's probably number one. Um, and you know, the other part about reducing your stride length is that you're not coming up in the, in the air so high. So there's less force and there's less of a, uh, vertical displacement. You're not flying up in the air as high. So I think that probably is the biggest variable. Um, and, uh, you know, then beyond that, you know, I think muscle strength probably makes a difference just to maintain your body position and body posture. Uh, but I, again, I think the, the key things are exactly what you say is just to make sure you're trying this stuff and, and trying it out before you just jump into it full speed. Yeah. And you know what, Jordan, I'm actually encouraged by the fact that, you know, we're talking again about strength training. We're talking about shortening your stride and ensuring that you're not overstriding. 
And you know, these are prevention strategies that runners can implement in their training that fix a whole host of other problems. You know, it fixes your form. Strength training makes you more economical. It also maybe helps you prevent injuries and and then it can also mitigate against some of the risks of these shoes. So, you know, it's almost like some of these strategies uh, have these wide ranging effects. And, and for me as a coach, that's exactly the type of training intervention that I'm looking for. Something that gives you multiple benefits with just one type of strategy. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. I mean, what kind of feedback have you received? I'm just kind of curious because, you know, generally, I mean, I've run my whole training classes, uh, people that I don't, you know, that, that's just more fitness stuff. And then I have people that get hurt when they come in my office. So if they're well and having no problems, I may not see them for several years, but you interact with people when they're training and well. So I know what I see when people get hurt, but I'm sure my population is, I know my population is biased because they're not seeing me generally unless they're hurt. What have you noticed in your world uh, with respect to these kind of shoe questions and what kind of feedback are you getting? Because I'm curious about that for me. Yeah. So I'm not actually currently working with any runners who have any interest in racing in these shoes. Uh, but anecdotally, anecdotally, I've heard that, you know, they, they feel good. They do race fast and, and runners really like them. Um, in terms of the injury side of things, I don't know. It's almost a little bit too early to tell, I think, uh, at least for the runners that I've spoken to, uh, you know, cause a lot of these athletes have only run in one or two races with the shoes. And, you know, if, if you're racing in them all the time, or if you're doing workouts in them, uh, or if your races happen to be very long, like marathons, then, you know, I think we might be able to see a little bit more, but at least for me right now, it's a little bit too early to tell. Yeah, fair enough. And I think we'll just kind of wait and see, but it really is amazing how it's really kind of grabbed the, you know, people really, people are lemmings basically. <laughs> well, it's, it's only been what less than a year. And, and these shoes have just kind of like overtaking the running world and everyone's talking about them. Yeah. And, and maybe because it's, you know, uh, around the Olympic trials and everyone want, wanted to qualify last fall. And, and I think there was much more focus on the shoe technology because it was so centered around, you know, exactly that, the trials. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Now, Jordan, while I have you, I would love to talk to you about something a little bit random. It was something that I saw that you talked about on Twitter. And this is an injury related, but since I have you, I couldn't resist not asking. It was about kids. And, uh, you know, you were talking about the, the need for kids to move around more and lead more active lives. And I, I just would love to talk about this a little bit more because I think we all, at least those of us who are kind of in the fitness industry, the people who listen to running podcasts, like our listeners right now, you know, we probably know all this already, you know, and, and I know for me, I have three kids and I want my kids to move around a lot and be active. I would love your help in defining that a little bit and see, you know, what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? How much activity is actually enough for say, you know, a five or six-year-old? Sure. So uh, I guess I would start by telling you that my background, I initially did my residency in pediatrics 20 years ago, and my dad is a pediatrician, um, and I'm very interested in the kind of concept of youth health and uh, activity as part of youth, youth health. Um, and we have a real problem in the United States uh, in that, you know, basically, if you're, if you're richer, you have better access to things and you have better health care and 
you have better activity outlets for yourself in general. Um, and you know, the, 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 this has been looked at through longevity studies, uh, et cetera. Uh, so what are the things that people can do to make sure their kids are healthy? Um, and obviously there's the, there's the underlying basic things like, you know, shelter and food and those types of things, um, community. And then the next level up are the things such as kind of movement and activity. Uh, and, you know, for any people, activity and regular activity for kids is so beneficial. Uh, and, uh, my general feeling on kids is there's not really a thing as too much activity. There definitely is a thing as not enough activity. Um, and the kids are pretty good engines. You know, when they, when they're tired, they'll stop. And when they're going, they'll go. And, you know, much like adults, if you keep it fun, they're more likely to keep doing it more. Um, and so, you know, kids, if they're not having a good time, they'll just stop. Adults, you know, will often push through, but, in general, I think there's not a thing as too much activity for kids um, and that, you know, more is probably better or certainly very good um, and that we should be thinking about ways to get people out there and move and be active. And, and that should be, you know, across all ages, but definitely uh, kids are a huge piece of that as well. What would you say might be a, a bare minimum of daily activity for, you know, a school age child and you know, what, what might that look like from yeah, at least 45 minutes to an hour a day um, would be helpful. You know, schools that are cutting out all physical education. I mean, we know kids that are active, involved in sport, do better in school. We know they concentrate better. We know that active kids tend to be active adults, tend to be active older adults. They have better life expectancy. They have better health span, meaning they're healthier, longer into their lives. So it's just really compelling evidence. Um, and that we have to kind of think about how we can encourage people and kids to be, to be active. I think it's really important. Yeah. My, my wife and I actually chose my daughter's school because they offer two recesses a day and no homework. So there's not that added pressure after school and it's within walking distance. So that, that was really important to us from a values perspective. And it's one of the ways that we can, you know, hopefully insert a little bit more activity into That's our awesome. kids' lives. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Well, Jordan, uh, this has been really illuminating. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I'd love to know, uh, what are you currently working on right now? How can we stay updated with what you're doing? Uh, that's so nice. Thank you. Um, so I do a whole bunch of things. Um, my website is uh, drjordanmetzel.com. And I'm on you know Instagram and on Twitter, uh, Facebook. Um, and I've been working on building out this fitness community to get people go moving and active. And I do these big free workouts. We started very small. Now we do upwards of 1,000 person workouts all summer long here in New York, and people can come be part of that. I've been in addition to being a doctor during the day, working on my next book, um, which is going to be a book about uh, incentive and what people can do to keep themselves motivated across their lifespan. Um, and that's going to be a really cool project that I'm working on right now, just working on the proposal for that. Um, and, uh, and we're actually working on another marathon study that's going to be coming out, I'll be presenting some of that data later this spring on uh, older runners and master's runners, which is going to be pretty interesting. And uh, you'll be hearing about that as well. Well, cool. I can't wait to hear about that. That sounds very exciting. And I'm going to link to as much as I can in the show notes for this episode so that our listeners can 
go to the website and get uh, links to everything that we talked about. And if anyone here is from New York City, lives near New York City, uh, they should definitely attend one of those iron strength workouts. I can't imagine doing one of those with a thousand people. It's a lot of fun. You'll you'll see it on our site too. So let's see. It's, I mean, I think it's fun. Uh, I don't know if everybody else does, but I have a great time. <laughs> well, great, Jordan. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, an honest review on Apple Music is incredibly appreciated. As always, you can find show notes, links to books, resources, training programs, videos, and more that we discussed on the show at strengthrunning.com. I also want to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's show. They're a health analytics company that tests for over 40 different blood biomarkers. And based on your physiology, they offer you custom solutions to help you optimize any areas that might be outside of what your personal zones might be. So if you're training for a difficult race, maybe you want to ramp up your recovery because you haven't been feeling very good, or you're just a passionate running geek like me who's always looking for more ways to improve you can get 10% off any test that they offer at insidetracker.com with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. It's not case sensitive, and it can be used for any tier that they offer from the affordable do-it-yourself kit to the ultimate package. Just use code STRENGTHRUNNING to claim your 10% savings at Inside Tracker. Just don't do what I did and get a bunch of blood drawn in the morning only to go summon a mountain at altitude an hour later. Some lessons just have to be learned the hard way. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions, don't hesitate to reach out. My email is support at strengthrunning.com. And I'm always here to help. Talk to you soon. <laughs>